This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. And listen, for information on any of the services that we talk about on in the segments, uh, and you'd like more, go to sands-trustee.com, or you can call 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. So, Blair, I love these mm-hmm. segments where we get to talk about the kinds of uh, all the different things that you've been dealing with the past month. Yeah, it's, you know, topical stuff, what's in the news, what are the client matters that I'm seeing, and um, this time with being the end of the year, you know, I thought we'd start to look towards 2019. And, well, I think you know, it's a good idea. A, a few predictions. I don't want to say it's all doom and gloom, but... Well, a lot of it is. Yeah, and and I think information. If you're armed with information, you're in much better uh, shape than if if you just want to, you know, do the the monkeys close your eyes, mm-hmm. don't speak, close your ears, so you don't know what's going on yeah. because it is a bit unsettled. 2019 definitely. There's lots of things that are are not going uh, as well as they possibly could. Oh, there's, uh, there's on a big scale. So much uncertainty, right? Yeah, you know, there even is. the whole U.S. and China trade dispute. Yeah. That alone, I was reading today, the Bank of Canada is saying, you know, that could permanently change the productive capacity of the world economy. That, yeah. That's a massive statement to make here. So, you know, obviously things will get negotiated and everything will be fine, but there are some really big factors that are out there. We're not going to focus too much on those. We're going to focus on what we know about, which is Canadian individuals and how they're going to deal with their debts. Good. And I think that's important. Like I say, I think people are better armed with information than not knowing anything. Mm-hmm. So the first thing comes from um, a group, uh, an organization of all the trustees across the country. Yeah, there's an organization called, it's a mouthful, but the Canadian Association of in- Insolvency and Restructuring Professionals, which, okay. you know, it abbreviates to CARP, which you probably don't need to know and you'll never hear again. Again, no, but which you are one of these I guys. I am one of those thousand members. So every trustee in Canada pretty well is a member of CARIP. And it's an industry association, you know, like the Law Society yes. or, you know, Mortgage Brokers Associations, different things like that. Um, so our association issued a press report recently uh, that we expect insolvency rates to increase in 2019. And the basis for that, and by insolvency rates, we mean people doing bankruptcies or consumer proposals, which is what we talk about a lot on this show. Yeah. And this is based on, historically, our association went back and did a really detailed analysis of what is the relation between interest rates and people filing bankruptcies and proposals. And what they found is it's not an immediate relationship, meaning that as soon as interest rates rise, you know, people don't go running to the trustee's office, but it is about a two-year lag from when interest rates start to rise to when insolvency rates really start to spike. Okay. It's, yeah, that's not great. Uh, but it is interesting to know that there is a period of time where... I don't know. I like to think it's a bit hopeful, too, that maybe can be people have an opportunity to flip things around a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. But in any event, yeah. Yeah, and this, not, and this is just history. You know, history yes. doesn't necessarily predict the future, but uh, from 96 to 2000, for folks that remember that were, you know, perhaps getting mortgages around that time, um, there was an increase in interest rates around that time, and there was a 22% increase in the number of insolvency filings, again, about a two years later. from So from about 98 to 2003, insolvency rates went up quite a bit. Yeah. 
Uh, it happened again in 2004, 2006. Interest rates increased, and there was actually a 54% increase in the number of people doing bankruptcies and proposals. So it's pretty significant. Now, why why do you think there was almost double or more than double the amount in that period of time than in the previous period of time? Well, as as we've talked about a lot, we just continue to increase our average amounts of debt in Canada. Okay. So, you know, the five-year period earlier, people had less debt. They could handle it a little bit better. You know, even now, people are so much more vulnerable. We're going to talk about that later in this segment. The debt-to-income ratio, it's at record highs just about right. every every quarter here. Okay. And, you know, from 2010 to 2016, we've all been living in this very nice, low interest rate Super environment, low, right? right? You know, close to zero. Uh, but in the last year there's been a big increase. Um, you know, interest rates have the highest they are, they've been in a decade. Um, back to December of 2008, the bank's rate is now at 1.75%, which for anybody that was getting a mortgage in 1980, for example, that just seems ridiculous. You know, the bank rate was 20% around there, right. but 1.75 compared to, you know, 0.25 or 0.5 as it was for periods of time, it's a real significant difference. Got it. Got it. And then you talk about um, the, and this is interesting too, so the increase, our for interest rates sitting at 1.75%. But since the summer of 2017, rates have gone five times. Yeah. Which is... Which, again, if you look at what has happened, it's a little easier to predict what may continue to happen then. Mm-hmm. A gradual ratcheting up. It's been about a quarter point almost every time, and the bank took a pass on the most recent quarter, but you know, it's likely that rates are going to continue to increase. Got it. And it's also, it's bigger than, you know, just what it does to your debt. You know, yes, it makes your debt more expensive in some cases, like a home equity line of credit, a variable rate mortgage. Those are the top two debts that are really becoming a lot more difficult as rates go up. But it also impacts the overall economy because rising rates cause consumers to spend less money. Which is a good thing. Could in, be. In a yeah. sense, for for a person uh, to to maybe uh, pull back their spending a little bit versus continue on mm-hmm. at, at a at a, a, a faster rate. Oh yeah, o- overspending is never a good thing. Right, that's uh, what I'm thinking. But yeah. I know overall impact for the economy is not great. Yeah, the overall impact of consumers spending less is not just that overspending gets cut back, but actually you know regular spending yes, as well. I understand. So then sometimes that can lead to unemployment, business growth yeah. decline. It can be this just vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, so the summary of the report was that 70% of trustees in Canada believe that insolvency rates will increase over the next five years. Okay, but not an idea of how many or what the percentage increase is going to be. There's a wide range of, right? of, of you know potential opinions on that. Um, I can't see it being another 54% jump. That's pretty significant. It is. Um, but I think we'll see double-digit increases over the next couple of years. Okay. Now, uh, are we here on the Lower Mainland more vulnerable than, let's say, well, I won't say Alberta because mm-hmm. I know that Alberta's been hit incredibly hard, yeah. um, but are we more vulnerable yes. than anyone else? Yes, absolutely yes, six ways to Sunday. Okay, uh, regardless of our situation. Yeah, and the reason for that is the debt-to-income ratio for Vancouver residents, um, Elaine, this, this boggles the mind. It's 242% as of June 30th of 2018. That means for every dollar that someone in Vancouver is earning for income, they owe $2.42 in debt. Wow, that's a crazy which amount. Which is a lot. Now, nationally, the rate is 171%, so $1.71. Vancouver, we're $2.42. That's a crazy difference. Right. But even 171 that's mm-hmm. not good either. Oh, no, it's still... That surprises and me. And that's, you know, in all... 
pretty close to an all-time high. It's been in the 170s in the last you know couple of years or so, but it's never approached that in years prior. So, and that's the average, the national that's average. That's the average. Yeah. So you're taking provinces that where it where it's where they don't have those kinds of levels at all. Yeah. And then we're added to it, Vancouver, and then I'm you know Toronto. I know is you know real mm-hmm. estate expensive, real estate etc. And you hit the nail on the head because the main culprit driving it, especially in Toronto and Vancouver, is yeah. very high mortgage balances. Uh, again, Vancouver is at 242 percent. The only other Canadian province above 200% is Toronto at 208. Okay. And anyone who's followed Toronto real estate knows there's been this massive run up in the last, you know, three, five years. A lot of people overextended on mortgages. So these stats are, you know, scary is, is the word to me um, in that, you know, Vancouverites seem to be more vulnerable than the average person in Canada. Got it. So... Um What's the risk? Like, what's the worst, or not the worst case scenario, but what are the bad, what's, what's the bad news about that? Yeah, the risk um, is that as, you know, debts continue to rise, um, CMHC, which is who put out this study, they're concerned that households might be unable to afford their mortgage payments along with all their other debts. And that could lead uh, to, you know, difficulty to borrow. If you're already overextended, it's unlikely you're going to be able to consolidate your debts and could even lead to, you know, some foreclosures, people having to sell houses when they're not wanting to do so and good luck finding a place you can rent in Vancouver. So there could be some folks who are going to feel really overextended and just won't be able to continue doing it forever. And my feeling is, is because we're talking about this, that it's such a, it's, it's so prevalent that we're talking about it right now as part of this segment in this show that there's probably a ton of people who are already in that place yeah. and experiencing that. I'm seeing so many young families coming into my office these even these past couple months, you know, a couple of kids, both working hard, both parents are employed, um, and they're just struggling because, you know, it, real estate has stopped increasing, so the extra equity they thought they could pull out year over year has stopped, and they find themselves with a bunch of extra debt that they're really having trouble making ends meet. So a lot of the times we can help with a consumer proposal, but sometimes the answer is, you know, you've got too much house for what you can afford to service on your income, unfortunately. Right. That's a huge impact. Ugh. That's uh, that's a huge impact. So yeah. what else? What else can you tell us? Well, I wish I had something good to say, Elaine. <laughs> I wish you did um, too. I'm finding so much great research out there that you know the the upside is I think people are talking more and more about the personal debt issues that we have, and you know a lot of the purpose of this show is just letting people know they're not alone. There's right. so many people that are facing debt problems, and I came across some great research from a company called Seymour Consulting, who I hadn't seen before, um, but they've put out this 2018 Financial Health Index study, and there are some just really, really um, staggering statistics here. 45% of Canadians agree money worries make them lose sleep at night. That's an enormous percentage. Oh my God, one in two people. Yeah. Right? Yes. Are not sleeping well because they're concerned about money. Um, 39% of Canadians agree that money worries affect their physical well-being. And we know that. We know that Mm -hmm. stress impacts your your physical being for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I know that the the average, you know, bankruptcy or insolvency rate across Canada is about 0.5%. It's about four per 1,000 people. So is it one one hundredth of the people that are feeling the pain of their debt are actually getting help? Right. That's what it seems like. It's yeah. 0.4% are actually doing something, meeting with a trustee, figuring things out. But 45, 39%, whatever it is of folks are really suffering these days. And that's what, uh, again, the reason why you do this show is to let people know they're not alone mm-hmm. and that there's some things that they can do. Exactly. And and take sort of take control back. 
Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about housing affordability, and this research touched on that as well. 70% of Canadians agree that housing affordability is a problem where they live. Um, And I drilled that down to BC. 88% of people say that housing affordability is a problem in where where they live, which is the highest in Canada. You know, next is Ontario at 70%. So again, a significant gap. If it feels like it's harder to get by in BC, it's because it is. And the the research really bears that out. Yes. Uh, Financial savings. How are people saving? these saving these days well so that you know the best practice is you've got probably six months of your you know stable income socked away for an emergency um Almost 40% of people have a savings buffer of less than two months. And I bet there's a huge portion that won't even say that they don't have that. Yeah, there's a big portion that probably have zero. Yeah. But yeah, less than two months for all intents and purposes. You know, if you lose your job, unless you're reemployed quickly, that money is going to burn through very quickly. Right. And then you get all the economic effects of all the other things that we've talked about, and and that can uh, impact employment as well. Mm. And um the the percentage of people that aren't confident that they could get through a financial hardship. That's uh, yeah. that's also a number to pay attention to. Yeah, maybe just one or two more to, to call out here, as I know we run out of time, but this is such so interesting research to me. But it's a majority of people, 55% are not confident they could get through periods of financial hardship. So that's more likely than not. People are really feeling vulnerable, and if a downturn happened, they wouldn't know what to do. And just the last one here is over a third of people, 36%, have money fights with their partner or spouse. And we know that if you're not sleeping, if your physical health is being impacted, of course it's going to happen to your relationships as well. So for more information on anything that we that we talk about on the show, and especially this, their website's terrific. There's a ton of information, sans trustee.com. I'm Elaine Scullin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scullin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us, Sanjeev Petro, who's an associate and senior litigator with Magellan Law in Langley. Practice is pretty broad. Uh, it encompasses a lot of areas like commercial and business litigation, builders' liens, property disputes, estates, trust litigation, variation of trust and insurance matters. Uh, represents uh, folks small to meet as well as small to medium-sized businesses in all levels of court in British Columbia. We're so happy you could join us, Sanjeev. Well, thanks for having me on. Great. And this segment's all about uh, kind of tales from the courtroom. I liked how you uh, t- entitled that, Blair. Yeah, we, we love to have some experts on and really get into, you know, I think we all learn best with stories. So, you know, to really help our listeners understand, well, you know, what's an example of where a lawyer's, you know, taken a client on and all the way through to a court and got a successful result? And then also today, I'd love to talk about where you've been able to avoid court and settle something outside, um, you know, using some different mechanisms. So, Sanjeev, I hope we can talk through an example of each of those today. Sure. Well, I had a fun case that uh, ended or wound up earlier this year, and, and I think it does a good job of showing the value of having a lawyer involved in the case. The situation involved a client who had sold equipment to a retail business, and, and the relationship had been going on for, for years, and the retailer began to run up a, a significant uh, balance owing with, with, the cli- with my client. Ultimately, my client decided to cease selling to the retailer because despite all the promises, they could never get caught up. 
Well, interestingly enough, after all that happened, the retailer decided that they were going to pack up a container with a bunch of unsold goods, ship it back to my client, and demand a refund and credit for the stuff. Hmm. The problem was that pretty much everything in the container was either very old, never a part of my client's product line, oh, well. damaged, <laughs> or all of the above. And probably well outside of terms of sale. I'm sure there were you know return timelines there, right? Of course. Right. So naturally, no credit was offered, and lo and behold, the retailer launched a lawsuit against my client, claiming that they were owed money for the stuff they'd sent via the container. Oh. Mind you, there was never any agreement uh, about the return of the stuff, and in addition to defending the claim on, their, uh, on the basis that there was nothing owed and no basis for the claim against it, my client also counterclaimed for their unpaid account. Mm-hmm. So fast forward uh, uh, from the start of the lawsuit to to the time we're in court. We get to court. And and, Steve, and how, take, how long was that from when the, the lawsuit started to when you were in court? So I think there can oh, be a delay sometimes, right? I think it was about two years or so. Wow. They started, I think, in 2016, and, yeah. and, and we were uh, in court in 2018 in the spring here. Mm-hmm. And there was there had been a couple of adjournments of the of the trial for for various reasons. It fell on on certain uh, religious holidays, and, and and so they sought adjournments uh, to to accommodate those uh, their religious uh, practices, which was fine. And and so we get to court finally in the spring of this year, and, and I take the other side's main witness through their accounts, and the invoices, and the agreements, and he confirms that the retailer, his company owed money to my client, that there'd never been any agreement about the return of the stuff they'd sent back to the retainer. And after I got all of this helpful evidence out of the retailer's witness, the judge presiding over the case recommends that uh, maybe uh, the two sides want to talk outside uh, <laughs> about uh, dealing with the matter before proceeding with the rest of the trial. Mm-hmm. So, mind you, we had a pretty good idea that the retailer had limited means um, mm-hmm. to pay any judgment that we were going to get, even if we were 100% um, successful on the counterclaim. Um, and, and recovery would be difficult, and legal expenses of completing the trial would be significant. So uh, we negotiated an agreement. The, uh, the judge made orders to give effect to the agreement, uh, with the claim being dismissed and, and we collecting a, a bit of money for the, for the client on top of uh, for the uh, client's unpaid account. And now I think... The, the re, if the retailer had sought out legal advice, they would have avoided the costs associated with the whole dispute and saved themselves a whole lot of time, trouble, and grief. In the first place, if they had taken that action. Exactly. Got On the it. other hand, my, my client was able to be well-organized and reasonable throughout the process, and, 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 and he had my help in making sure that that happened, and, and we got the result that we always expected, but we, we did end up getting. And you know what I like about it, I just want to interrupt for a mm-hmm. sec, is um, the judge. Yeah. And just being, you know, full of common sense and suggested, you know, we don't need to go any further at this moment. Maybe you guys could discuss this outside. I just think that's terrific. I, I, I would love to know that that goes on more, more times than not in our system. Well, you, you, you do get feedback from judges, and, and, and when they do give you feedback, um, it, it, it's, it's wise to at least give it some close consideration. Sure, because, yeah, uh, give it a shot, right? You know what they're talking right? about more often than not. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Excellent. Well, that, that's just a great example, Sanjeev. And I wonder, um, in limited time that we have here, can we talk about the other situation, you know, uh, where you're able to help somebody settle outside of court so it didn't have to get to that point of being in front of a judge and the associated legal costs and things like that? Sure. Well, this is a matter a dispute that never ended up or saw the inside of a courtroom. We had a, a couple of people who were operating a business together. They purchased premises, business premises, to operate the business out of. A few years goes by. 
um, the business partners decide to separate. But um, the, the premises remains co-owned. And, and then out of the blue, um, there's an offer to purchase the other side's interest. And, um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm consulted about the matter. And, and I was able to advise the, the client about the Partition of Property Act, which provides for essentially forcing the sale of property when ownership is 50-50. And knowing this, we were able to negotiate uh, a really a fair deal, which took into account market valuation, where the initial offer was not anywhere close to market, and, and resolve a whole lot of other issues that sort of remained unresolved from the time these two people had, had decided to separate their business. And so there was a cost to all of that, but there was no filings in court and all of that other stuff necessary. And I think the other side was well served because they had counsel, hmm. uh, a lawyer, who was able to provide that other side. That was going to be my um, other question, too, is it, you know, even when you're negotiating informally, it probably makes sense that it's lawyers talking to lawyers in many cases. Right, and, and, and I find that negotiations with lawyers are often um, smoother because you're not personally invested in the dispute. You just want to get the best result you can for your client, um, and, and you're able to explain the situation to the client. And, and often, frankly, when you're paying for advice, you're more often to, uh, likely to listen to it. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I, in closing, we've just got uh, just over two minutes left. Sanjeev, is there a place or is there a good resource for folks uh, who are just trying to figure out next steps before they come and see you uh, to figure out where you know what what their um, what their course of action might be? Well, frankly, it's a little dangerous for people to try and self-educate too much on on the uh, the nature of the legal process, and, and I say that not because I, I I don't think people are smart and capable, and there's a lot of resources there out on the web, but. Um, knowing what's important and what's not is, is often something that comes with time and experience and, and training. Um, a lot of lawyers will sit down with, with a person um, and give them a, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour of, of a consultation so that they can, um, the other person can, can get some ideas about where they're at and what would be required to move things forward, the cost of getting an opinion or, 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 or dealing, handling a problem. So I, I think that's really the best way of dealing with, uh, with, with issues like that. Excellent. Yeah, you can imagine if you've got medical issues and you start Googling, you figure out everything is going to have you in the grave pretty quickly. So. Absolutely. <laughs> so. I think that's a, that's a perfect parallel to, to, the, uh, to the situation when people find themselves in legal problems. Well, if you want to get a hold of Sanjeev, he's very easy to get a hold of. He's at Magellan Law in Langley. MagellanLaw.ca is the website. And just a little bit about his bio. Uh, very, I think the firm in general, I could say, is pretty, it's, uh, it's area of expertise expertise is pretty broad, Sanjeev. Yes, we, we, we're we a pretty uh, diverse group here. We do a lot of uh, work for small and medium-sized businesses and, 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 and individuals who are all involved in all sorts of transactions and, and dealings in their life. And, and uh, sometimes people run into problems or disputes and uh, either on the, on the claimant side or the defendant side and and that's sometimes when they come and see me. Excellent. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Skull, and along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We'll be back with more right after this.
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. In studio with us is Ashley Garley, also from Sands & Associates. Um, Ashley's an estate manager, wide range of insolvency administration experience. When meeting with clients for the first time at Sands, she says her goal is to ensure that each person comes away feeling confident, empowered, and knowing much more about how to deal with their financial difficulties than when they first arrived. And Ashley, I can't tell you how much that sounds like everything that Blair and I always talk about mm-hmm. uh, on how to greet people and sort of move them through this sometimes pretty difficult process. So I'm so glad that you could be here today. Yeah, me too. Great. So we're this uh, this segment is uh, Client Myths and Misconceptions. Yeah, so I was chatting with Ashley about coming on the show, and there were two purposes. You know, one is I want our listeners to really understand a little bit more about who would they actually meet with if they were to come into Sands & Associates. And Ashley works primarily out of the Vancouver office, but she also travels and serves our Kelowna office occasionally and, and other spots as well. Um, so that's part of it. But also I wanted Ashley to really tell us, you know, when people come in the door, they often have a lot of myths and misconceptions, and sometimes they're a bit different than what I might have thought were the main myths. Sure. So I wanted Ashley to just say to the clients you've met with, say, over the last year or two years or so, what are the main myths and misconceptions they bring in the door? And then let's give, you know, the factual basis as well. And we'll have a good chat today. So what's, uh, and, and these aren't really in the order of importance or the, or how many times they show up. They're just numbered in this way. Or is this the number one that you're going to lose everything when you file for bankruptcy? This is probably one of the number one myths. Most people think they're going to lose everything. I so, would think so too. Now that I said yeah. it out loud, it would so, be my concern so, as well. So myth number one, Ashley, you lose all your assets when you file for bankruptcy. Yeah, many people have this uh, conception that this is going to happen when you file bankruptcy. And before I got into this field, I had a similar idea that if you file bankruptcy, you will lose all of your assets. Um, And that is not the case. So within Canada, there is a set of exemption allowances. And the idea behind these exemption allowances is that everybody is entitled to a certain base level of assets in all circumstances, regardless of their financial hardship and or a bankruptcy. So to me, that almost feels like everyone's allowed to have some dignity, right? You know, there's a certain base level of things that no matter what, not everything can be taken from you. And this was brand new information for me, as it is, I know, for everyone, uh, unless you're familiar with how the process works. But I always thought if you were going into bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy, everything went. Didn't matter what you had. Yeah, and many people think this. And, you know, briefly, some assets that are exempt and you are allowed to keep are, for instance, your household furniture. So, no, you're not going to lose everything in your home. You know, clothing and medical aids up to an unlimited amount. So many people have this idea, you know, I'm going to lose all the clothing off my back. That's not the case either. Other assets that you can keep that many people also are not aware of are, you know, your RRSPs are protected Mm -hmm. unless you've made contributions within the last 12 months. As well as many people think, if I have a home, I'm going to automatically lose that when right. I file bankruptcy. And uh, within the greater Vancouver area and Victoria area, you are automatically allowed to actually keep up to a certain amount of equity in your home, uh, up to the value of 12000 in our greater Vancouver area and up to $9,000 anywhere else in the province. Okay, so could you explain what exactly that means? Uh, what exactly that means, I'm allowed to keep that equity? What does that mean? 
So, you know, in a home, and with your property, you would have an amount of equity with when you have in it. So you have your current market value less, you know, what your mortgage, et cetera, would be on it, plus selling costs, et cetera. We take a look at what is left over after that. Do you have equity within your home? Okay. So many people think if I have equity within my home, I automatically have to give up my whole home and the equity will go into the bankruptcy estate. Got it. So this is letting you know that, no, you are allowed to have up to $12,000 here in the greater Vancouver area. anywhere else in the province. And even if you exceed, you know, these amounts, there are options to deal with that. It's not going to be you automatically lose your home. Okay, good. Uh, What about if you've got a mortgage or a car loan? So this is something that also comes up for people. They feel I'm going to automatically lose that asset as well. And no, as long as you continue to maintain the payments on these uh, loans or leases, you get to uh, maintain that asset. So that could be your home, your vehicle, etc. So you just need to continue maintaining the payments on that and keeping that in good standing. And I would maintain those payments if I was doing a consumer proposal, for example, yeah, right? In both cases. So the way that I explain to folks is, you know, basically a secured debt, like a mortgage or a car loan means that if you don't pay it, they're able to come and take the security back from you, the car or the mortgage, or right. the car or the house. Um, nothing that we do impacts that at all. So if you want to keep the car, you just keep making the payments. If you want to keep living where you are, you keep paying the mortgage. You going into bankruptcy or doing a consumer proposal gives you the option. If you wanted to walk away from those obligations, okay, you could, but not the obligation to do so. Most people are actually in much better shape. They can afford their mortgage better. They can afford their car loan better if we've helped them with a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy to deal with all the other debt. Got it. Okay. So what's number two? Uh, Bankruptcy can't eliminate income tax debt. And you know, I even have accountants call me and they're saying, you know, I've got this guy, he's got a bunch of of, you know, credit card debt. I know you can help with that, but the income taxes, I know you can't help. I'm like, okay, are you asking me or telling me? Because I can absolutely <laughs> help with this. So this is a big misconception here. So Ashley, bankruptcy yeah, cannot it. eliminate it. Yeah, yeah, explain that. So just as Blair said, not just amongst the people that we meet in our office, but, you know, amongst other professionals out there. Who should know. Right. Who you think you should know. But, you know, we do have this idea that it's our tax debt. So how could we ever include this in one of these options? But in fact, you know, a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal is your only available option to eliminate or reduce these government debts, such as CRA tax debt, uh, student loans, if it's been more than seven years since you were a student, MSP, and even ICBC debts can be dealt with through a licensed insolvency trustee. And the only issue is that student loan mm-hmm. piece, right? And if as long as you haven't paid on it... For what's the period of time? Uh, close. So as long as you haven't been a student for haven't? the last seven years. Okay. So paying on it doesn't really impact too much, but it's when you were last a student, the government wants you to try for, you know, at least a few years, try to earn income, pay it back. And if you go bankrupt or do a consumer proposal and it has not been seven years since you were last a student, that debt would survive. That's okay. the only one that, that has that special status. Fair enough. Good. I'm glad you explained that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the myth that my credit's ruined, uh, my credit is ruined? if I'm going to file bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. That's right. Many people feel if I file a bankruptcy or even a consumer proposal that there will be no option for them to rebuild their credit or even have credit again. Ever again, yeah. And that's, again, not the case in a bankruptcy. uh, It's going to remain on your credit history for six years following your discharge. But it's important to note that even though that's reporting on there for six years, within about two to three years from your bankruptcy discharge, you can positively rebuild on there and have a good credit history standing within that time. So even though it's reporting on there for six years, you can still positively be reflecting on that after your bankruptcy discharge. And then after that six years, it's completely eliminated from there. And, the, and then all you'll see is my, is my good credit history. Yeah. 
Exactly. The way I sometimes discuss with clients is, you know, there's 120,000 people every year in Canada, give or take a few, uh, who file bankruptcy or consumer proposal. If all of those people were just eliminated from the credit system, that's a lot of consumers for the banks to write off every year. They're not writing off 120,000 consumers. People will want to loan you money again, because otherwise, looking at it cynically, nobody makes any money if they don't loan you money in the future. So there will be a period of time where you have to rebuild, but it's closer to the two to three years Ashley was mentioning. Got it. What about tools and resources to build, uh, to rebuild my credit rating or build it? So yeah, that's another great thing that's offered actually through the bankruptcy and consumer proposal process is we do offer uh, two counseling sessions, which do touch base on all these tools and resources that would help you rebuild your credit. A great place to start is by securing yourself with a secured credit card. So you go out there, it's guaranteed approval, you're going to have that credit card and positively be using that, meaning you're paying that bill off every month in full. And that's going to very positively reflect on your credit bureau and show that you're now responsibly using the credit. And it's a small, usually the credit card is a small amount that's put on it, is that right? Or a... That's right. You put a small deposit down and they're going to give you a limit. It varies on which um, institution you apply to, but it does give you the available credit, which you can then go out and responsibly use. Absolutely. As, and the, responsi- the responsible part is that I need to pay it off. I need to pay it off on a timely manner that's right. when or, I'm supposed to. Or they'll take your deposit and then you won't get the positive stories on your credit and then and it has not get, achieved what it's supposed to achieve. Right. You don't get the credit <laughs> card right. or yeah. anything. That's a, a, a mess at that point. Um the other, I, I like this myth because this is sort of the one that I fell into uh, before I started uh, doing this show, is that bankruptcy is my only option to deal with debt. Yeah, many people think that it is their only other option out there to get debt relief. But uh, although the consumer proposal is not a new debt relief tool, you know, many people are surprised that it can relieve them from their debt. Um, what the consumer proposal does is it combines all the debts into one settlement and gives the person a, you know, advantage of being able to just keep track of one payment while settling all the debts instead of now having multiple creditors to deal with, multiple payments. So it makes it very manageable and avoids them going bankrupt. Exactly. And it's always, what's the percentage, Blair, that that you're always able to um, negotiate in terms of paying down when you've got a consumer proposal? Yeah, two really important percentages. You know, first off is what percentage does the person have to offer back? And, you know, Mm -hmm. usually it's about 30 to 50% of the debt outstanding. So whatever the total amount is for about future interest that goes to zero and then you repay somewhere in the range 30 to 50 20 to 40 percent something like that so that's a good percentage for people to know it's good ballpark the other percentage i think is so important for people to know is how often are these proposals accepted because some people say well why would my creditors ever agree to give me zero interest give me five years to pay off a reduced amount and the answer is 95 to 99 percent of the time these proposals get accepted because the alternative is often the creditors will get nothing if you choose to file for a bankruptcy so if you can offer for about a third of the debt back, generally about 95 to 99% of the time that proposal could get accepted. And in terms of getting everybody on board, all of your lenders on board, mm-hmm. what's the percentage that you need in order for that to yeah. for a consumer proposal to happen? Oh, great questions. Elaine, the, all we need is 50% <laughs> by dollar value. So if you've got someone yelling and screaming, I'll never accept a proposal unless they've got a majority of your debt, they don't have to. As long as the other guys or gals say yes, it's a binding deal. Yeah, I really like that part mm-hmm. of it as well. Um, the myth number five, were, did, was there anything else that you wanted to say about the consumer proposal? No, Blair touched a lot of those. Yeah, I know. We talk about 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 it all the time, Ashley. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That they're lengthy and costly. Yeah. So, I mean, Blair did touch a lot of these points that a lot of people think they're going to have this giant repayment back, that this is going to last a long time for them. 
But as Blair mentioned, you know, you only need to usually repay back 20 to 30% of that debt. Okay, a payment plan that we put out in the proposal could be anywhere from 48 to 60 months. But the great thing about the proposal is that you do have the right to pay that out more or full at any time. So if you start to earn more, you know, in the future and you're starting to have a better financial standing, you do now have the ability to also finish this consumer proposal off quicker for yourself. So it's a bit more flexible. And the last one, and we're just running out of time here, I'm not responsible for my spouse's debt. Yeah, many people think I'm married, my spouse has debt, now this is my responsibility if they can't meet it. And unless your partner uh, has co-signed or, you know, you have personally guaranteed yourself to, you know, be responsible for this debt if they cannot make it, your spouse's debt is not your responsibility. Those are their debts. And so even if your spouse were to go bankrupt, that does not mean that that bankruptcy affects you. That's their legal proceeding to deal with their debt. Exactly. That's great. We've been talking with Ashley Garley, who's an estate manager uh, at Sands & Associates. And uh, if you'd like more information, check out their website, sands-trustee.com, or go ahead, take the action, call 1-800-661-3030 and get that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Ashley Gurley's in studio with us, and Ashley's an estate manager with a wide range of insolvency administration experience with Sands & Associates, and uh, spends a lot of time with clients. I love this, uh, your one piece of advice for people seeking help with their debts and this is such an important thing. I think in a, you could use this in a lot of situations. Your past does not define you. Meet with a licensed insolvency trustee to build a great plan for a financial fresh start. But I love that your past does not define you. And that would encompass all those, those, those uh, regrets and mistakes that mm-hmm. people think they've made and what a fool I was for doing that. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's a wonderful attitude. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for having that. So we're going to find out about Ashley. And uh, I'm always curious at why, how people end up in the business that they're in. How did you end up in this business, Ashley? Well, honestly, it, it wasn't something that I thought I would end up in. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I moved to Vancouver uh, numerous years ago when I was looking for a job. I had a family member who was a licensed insolvency trustee and the work always interested me. It seemed very fascinating, but I didn't know much about it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what, there's a job, why don't I take it and try to get a little more information on this business. So I took an introductory admin job and I just became so fascinated by the work. You constantly see people come in, leave with almost their lives changed, you know, um, you've seen that the work was had a lot of purpose behind it and that it helped change people's lives and it went a lot of ways. So I wanted to continue learning and, you know, continue to see how I could help these people, you know, more and get to meet people and get to know more about what's bringing them in through the door and how I can actually take some action to help them. Must be really gratifying. Very rewarding. It's one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had. Um, a lot of the times I get comments like, I sleep better at night because of you. And that just makes my heart melt because, you know, financial stress is very real. 
it takes up uh, a lot of space in other areas of your life when you're dealing with it. So if you can provide someone relief in that, you've now only just opened up other doors for a lot of space in other areas of their life. And you really see them improve in those areas of their life, which is so rewarding. Yeah. And just in all the discussions that Blair and I have had over over the months about the you know our economic situation and, and debt ratios and all that kind of stuff, um, there's going to be... You know, there's there's never going to be a shortage of folks that get in over their heads, and often by no fault of their own, but mm-hmm. by their situation, and because it's changed dramatically, or or something's happened that they didn't expect, whether it be an illness or a job change or whatever. So um, that's great. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're doing the work. Um, what kind of education did you have to have to get in? Uh, So when I started at SANS, I actually didn't have much education behind insolvency. So as I went through SANS, I took the CARE uh, Insolvency Administration course. That was my start off there, and I learned a lot through that course. So I finished that in uh, April of 2016, and then after that, I also took the CARE's uh, insolvency or the qualification course for the counsellors, insolvency counsellors course. So I completed that, and I've just almost done up my 50 sessions that you need to just finish up being qualified. Right, about 47, I think, now. <laughs> yeah, almost, almost there. there. Yes. Almost. <laughs> and which has been also a great learning experience, sure. meeting with different people and providing them that helpful information. And then just a lot of smaller courses throughout the way, tax courses, etc. Cool. Most enjoyable thing besides working with Blair uh, in your job? Well, we work with a lot of amazing people at SAN, so yes, working with Blair is great, also working (laughs) with all of my other amazing staff members. Uh, Like I said, being able to provide people that relief and see how it really changes uh, their life, Um, also being able to provide knowledge that people didn't even know was out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and knowledge is power. Without it, you know, you can't really do much. But when people get the information and they realize there's all these solutions out there, it really opens up a lot of doors for them. As well as just learning more about my own finances, you know, mm-hmm. working with other people's finances and seeing all these other different situations that are going on out there really makes you aware of, you know, that a lot of these things could happen to you as well. And so it's uh, it's a very humbling experience at the same time. We often talk about or, or have talked about in the past the the uh, sort of the size of the cushion that folks need, what they used to, what they had in the past and, and what folks generally have now. Uh, and it's it's a bit scary, right? Because it, it's a tougher time. It's we, we live in a very expensive part of the world. Uh, real estate aside, just mm-hmm. the cost of living uh, in British Columbia compared to Alberta, Saskatchewan, the Prairie Provinces, or your, uh, the Maritime Provinces. So that's great. Yeah, lots of, lots of good information. Ashley, I wonder if we could ask you to share a couple stories, maybe one or two of some clients you've worked with that's kind of stuck with you that you think might be interesting for the listeners, because a lot of folks listening out here, I want them to understand, you know, they can come and see you, but what's the type of situation um, that you've been able to help someone through recently? Recently, one that's really stood out to me is I had a gentleman come see me who was running his own corporation, and he ended up in a lot of tax debt over Mm -hmm. the corporation. Uh, He just wasn't very knowledgeable on how you needed to do the tax filings, etc. Was he a contractor, or what type of... He actually ran his own uh, entertainment business, so it was a very interesting field that he had, and um, he just thought that, you know, there's no option for me, and Mm. he just kind of felt he had a family, and he thought that, you know, his family was really going to suffer from this as well, and he had this, again, a very negative idea around bankruptcy. You know, and after coming in and seeing us, he was just amazed at how much relief it could provide him in his life, that the tax debt could be included, and that, you know, eventually he could see a light at the end of this tunnel. 
So he made the assignment into bankruptcy, and he just actually recently completed his bankruptcy. Oh, and happy day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this client actually used to come in every month to do the budgeting with me because he found that so helpful throughout the bankruptcy, the monthly budgeting. And so he said that not only did it give him the relief, but there was so much knowledge and tools given to him throughout the process that now he feels really ready to go out there and be financially successful. And, you know, for someone with a family that has young children, that's just so great to hear. So that was one of my favorites. And the fact that I'm pretty sure he's going to then pass all this information on to his children, right? Mm-hmm. Because often kids are left out of that uh, of that discussion, that money discussion. And, uh, and that's really important, right? Yeah, really absolutely. important. Really important. Ashley, when someone's coming in to meet with you, what should they expect for that first initial meeting? You know, what type of information, what type of questions, how do you structure that first contact? You know, the first meeting is always a bit overwhelming for people, I find, but what you can expect from that meeting is just to really be having a conversation with someone who's qualified to help you. They're not Mm -hmm. there to judge you. They're not there to, you know, crunch the numbers right away. We just want to hear where you are at, what's kind of gotten you there, and how we can help. And so the first meeting is always just for you to really let us know what you're dealing with, get as much information as you can so you know, you know, I have the information on what steps I need to take forward. And that's really what the first meeting is. It's not about getting everything figured out, but starting there and getting you the knowledge that you need to kind of see what you want to do about taking over your situation. And what do you charge for that first meeting? It's absolutely free, which is the best part. Mm-hmm. And it's and you know and the, if if that's what it takes to get somebody in the door uh, to start this journey to figure out and get out from underneath this enormous weight, mm-hmm. uh, it's wonderful, right? I just think that's so great that you guys do that. Really good. Um, now we've got about a minute and a half or so left. Words of advice. Words of advice for folks. Take the first step. Don't feel that there's nothing out there for you. There are solutions. There's a lot of information out there. So just start by getting yourself informed because once you have the information, you will realize that there's a lot you can do about your situation. So if you're stuck in a situation where you feel, I can't do anything about this, start by reaching out and maybe taking that first initial consultation or hopping on the website and getting some information. Yeah, that website, Ashley, is amazing. I remember I went to it when, before I met Blair and, we, and started doing the show with them. Uh, it's phenomenal how much information you have. It's well-written. Uh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not filled with terms that you're not going to know. It's just very conversational and gives you a whole bunch of different scenarios uh, and then the and then the answers and then of course that little bit of push to say you know what if you really want to take this on give us a call find an office yeah it's free it's unbiased advice um, I've never had someone say that we've wasted their time for the first meeting quite the opposite I have people say why did I wait so long I was so scared of being judged that this was going to cost money so on and so forth so if anybody listening if this can shortcut them from having literally two years of despair is what a lot of people take before they come in to see us to Ashley's point make the call you won't regret it and here's the phone number uh, 1-800-661-3030 to get that free consultation as well as to find an office uh, near you, their website address, sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.